Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by... Kerry Clack, columnist, editorial board member. Brian Chasnov, investigative reporter. Metro editor, Greg Jefferson. This was an eventful week in Texas uh, this past week. Um, among other things, this was a, a week in which uh, Agriculture Commissioner Sid Miller uh, continued his uh, unlikely and strange recent emergence as the voice of reason in the Texas Republican Party uh, three months after calling out Governor Greg Abbott's um, use of state troopers to, to inspect uh, trucks on the border. Uh, he called that political theater and misguided. Uh, this past week, he called for the full legalization of uh medicinal marijuana in the state of Texas. So um, we've made fun of Sid Miller over the years, I think. And uh, so I've got to give him some credit for that. And uh, I hope he hope he keeps it up. This past week also saw the uh, the release of surveillance footage from the Robb Elementary School shooting on May 24th. And um, we also had the release on Sunday of uh, Texas House Investigative Committee report uh, on the incident. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, when to start by uh, looking at uh, something that happened last Monday. They got a lot of attention. First Lady Jill Biden was in San Antonio for the Unidos U.S. conference. And uh, she uh, she made a speech in which uh, she uh, mispronounced the name of the uh, longtime leader of the organization, uh, Raul Isaguire. She also uh, mispronounced the word bodegas. But I think I don't think that was either of those things were the the, the main points that people got from the, the speech. In talking about Raul Isaguera, and see, now I'm struggling with it. Um, she, uh, so I should cut her some slack on that. Um, she talked about how he helped build the organization. And she said uh, he helped build the organization with the understanding that the diversity of this community, uh, as distinct as the bodegas of the Bronx, as beautiful as the blossoms of Miami, and as unique as the breakfast tacos here in San Antonio, is your strength. Um, there was immediate pushback on that. And I think a lot of uh, Republicans had were could, could not hide their glee over what looked to people as though the First Lady was kind of equating... Um, Mexican-Americans in South Texas with, with breakfast tacos. Um, Greg, what was, uh, what was your, your response to that? Uh, it looked awfully familiar to me. <laughs> I mean, like there's a huge, long history, which you've actually written about this past Sunday, a long history of Anglo politicians trying, connect, trying to connect with Latino audiences being uh, really not conversant enough with with the community, with their culture to do so. And so you rely on these tropes like like breakfast tacos and like Bronx bodegas and all of that. I mean, I remember, you know, this like I said, this is uh, this is pretty typical, particularly in the Democratic Party. I mean, I I covered Hillary Clinton during a campaign stop in 2008. She was appearing at um, St. Mary's University on the West Side, 
And her um, her big applause line was about eating a jalapeno every day. Like that would to to her that was connecting with her with her audience, and that's pretty typical. I mean, it's 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 funny in a way, but it it really speaks to this alienation within the the Democratic Party. What did you think, Carrie? <laughs> um, okay, uh, we it, it starts from the place we all know that there was no malicious intent. Absolutely, everybody, everybody knows that, and it's one of those things that. All politicians, whatever their party, they'll just say something stupid or something that was written for them that that probably shouldn't have been written for them. I I, I know what she was trying to say, Mm -hmm. uh, but anytime you you bring up food and comparing people to it, it's it's not a good thing. On on one hand, I was thinking, well, it is a bit overblown. But then I also thought... What if she's appearing at the local NAACP thing and makes a comment about watermelon or fried chicken? It's it's then it's you know then it does touch a nerve even though there's no intent involved. But uh, it's one of those things that whatever happens with her husband's presidency, whether or not there's another term or whatever, this will have nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah. What do you think, Brian? I mean, like we said earlier, just don't generally just don't compare people to food and just, <laughs> and I'm going to make a note of that. Le- leave it, leave it at that. Yeah. Um, you know, and this, again, she is not to blame for this, but it, it's, um, this happened, um, to an administration that, you know, that has had trouble with Latino outreach, Joe Biden. Um, if we look back at the 2020 Democratic race, you know, Bernie Sanders did really well. I think with Latino voters, Joe Biden all, has always kind of struggled, um, uh, reaching out to Latinos. I think there's a, a sense when you talk to people in the Rio Grande Valley and then some other places uh, that the Republican Party is maybe working harder. Uh, Democratic Party is, I think, kind of been resting on its laurel somewhat with with uh, with Latinos. And there was something that really caught my attention last week with the release of the New York Times Siena College poll, which had some bad news for Joe Biden. It also had some really bad news for Donald Trump. Joe Biden's approval rating in the poll was 33%. Only 13% of the of voters said they thought the country was on the right track. At the same time, when he was when people were asked who they would vote for in a head-to-head matchup with Donald Trump, 44% said Joe Biden, 41% said Trump. Um and there were some encouraging things in that for Biden in that young voters, I think, have really are, are pretty disillusioned with him. A lot of them voted for him in, in 2020, but don't feel like he's done enough. I mean, we could go into we could do a whole podcast on on how I think I personally think that maybe some of this is a little bit unfair. I mean, he's having to, he's having to deal with Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema in the Senate. And, um, you know, there these uh, there, there's some there's some obstacles that he's faced that uh, but he's but nonetheless, I think he's he's gotten some blame from from young progressive voters in his party. But the poll indicated that if you put him against Trump, their young voters are still going to go for Biden. But one thing that really stood out to me was that among Latinos, Biden was ahead only 42 to 39 percent. And uh, in 2012, I think Obama got about 71% in that race with Mitt Romney. I mean, that was a huge part of his, of his reelection um, victory. And um, that's just a real warning sign, I think, for, for Democrats. I mean, they, the, the, the complaint that I've heard from even people within the party has been that there isn't enough effort made until election years. And sometimes even well into an election year to try to reach out to Latino voters. And then people can kind of see through that. And so I think there has to be there's, that's a red flag for for um, the Biden administration to say, look, you know, if he's going to run again 
And if he's got any chance of, of, of winning again, these that's he's got to do a lot of work there. And again, Jill Biden is not at fault for any of that. It was just a, a, a bad, bad passage from a speech that was written for. Um, wanted to talk about uh, the news from Uvalde. And on Sunday, there was the release of a report. You had a, a three member investigative committee looking at the incident, trying to kind of put together all the information and not really uh, coming up with recommendations, but just trying to assess what happened so that we can go from there. Brian, what, what are the big takeaways from that report? Well, what, what's th- there were so many of them. Um, uh, one that stood out the most to me initially was the fact that you had officers acknowledging to the committee in their testimony that they realized over the course of the more than hour that elapsed uh, before they sh- shot and killed the gunman that there were injured victims inside the classrooms, yet yet they still waited to go in, which is incomprehensible in retrospect. And I think uh, every, at this point, we're all trying to comprehend how that could have happened. Um, uh, other things in the report pointed to uh, just utter chaos at the scene. There were uh, nearly 400 officers from various, from more, uh, nearly two dozen federal, state, and local agencies who responded to the scene um, that, uh, you know, even with, even with that many even with those numbers, they, they, it took them more than an hour to, to get in that classroom. Um, you know, the, there was no one clearly in charge at the scene. One of the the things they said was that there were no, there was no one villain in this case, it was a systemic failure. There were a lot of, there was a lot of blame to go around. I mean, is that the way you see it, Greg? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, all you have to do is read the report. It's, it's, it's a mere 77 pages and yeah, like, like there's the blame, uh, goes everywhere. <laughs> and, you know, it includes the school district and it, it includes the administrators at Rob Elementary School, which, you know, the report says kind of allowed kind of this culture of laxity, kind of a, a casual approach to school security to take hold. I mean, you know, it, it takes note of the fact that, you know, often they would prop outside doors open to let, you know, you know, substitute teachers in, um, you know, there was a feeling, um, and I'm not sure how relevant this is, but there were a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, alerts at the school for bailouts. This is when uh, border patrol is chasing, you know, a human trafficker or, you know, somebody in the country illegally, they pass through Uvalde and often, you know, it's like the screaming car chase and schools go down, you know, they go into lockdown in that situation and they have, you know, they practice this throughout the school year. There was a feeling that, you know, it created this kind of uh, because it happens so frequently that it it created this kind of, you know, this laxity. It's like, oh, here we go again. I don't know that that was really relevant in this case. I mean, you you it it was a matter of, you know, the shooter jumping over the school fence, which, by the way, the the report says was too high. It, you know, they recommended having a, a taller outside fence, bigger than five feet tall. Anyway, so he jumps over the fence. A coach, a school coach, sees this, you know, sees him jump over the fence and begin shooting at the school. She immediately radios to the principal and uh, nothing happened. I mean, the, 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 the principal, according to the report, 
tried to, you know, announce a lockdown via a cell phone application, but the school had faulty Wi-Fi. It was very weak. So that didn't work. And for whatever reason, she didn't announce a lockdown on the school intercom. So it was kind of basically word of mouth. And, you know, that's, that's just the school. And then, you know, yeah. Brian can speak to the law enforcement failures a lot better than I can, but there were a lot. Go ahead. Right. I mean, uh, you said, is there any one villain? I mean, up till this point, a lot of the ire has been focused on Pete Arredondo, the police chief for the Uvalde CISD department, who uh, even Steve McCraw, the director of Texas D- Department of Public Safety, singled out as the the villain. Uh, but the what the report makes clear is that there were there were other officers who uh, knew that there were children and teachers trapped in there and, and, and didn't do anything. For example, uh, the acting police chief of the Uvalde police department, Lieutenant, uh, Pargus, he, uh, acknowledged, admitted to the committee that he heard, uh, on radio traffic about the 911 calls coming from the classrooms. Um, and that he understood that the other officers in the building also were aware of those 911 calls. Uh, he told the committee that, uh, officers were waiting for more personnel and better equipment to get into the classrooms. Um, and so that, that really stood out to me. And actually some news broke yesterday about, Pargus, uh, the mayor uh, of Uvalde, Don McLaughlin Jr., announced that uh, Par- the city was placing Pargus on administrative leave while it, it investigates the the role of Uvalde PD in the incident. Yeah, you know, Greg was mentioning the the, the 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 bailout issue, and this is something that McLaughlin, who is a real uh, border hawk and had, had had been saying for a couple of years leading up to this shooting, been complaining that he about the Biden administration's handling of the border and felt that uh, that Uvalde was being uh, had been negatively affected because he did he felt that the there hadn't been enough enforcement on dealing with with uh, migrants at the border. So I, as as Greg said, I mean it was a slightly curious uh, um, reference there in the report um, about the, the bailout situation because there was some. I, I think very quickly people did. There was some awareness that there was a, a shooter and, and whatever communication problems happened um, that really, I, I don't think the bailout issue really came to play. I don't think people were saying, well, the, you know, we've had, we've had all these false alarms before. And so this isn't, we're not going to be worried about it. Um, so I don't, I don't know if there was some element of politics in, in bringing that up because we know that the, the border is a, is a, is a hot button issue in, in Texas. But um, I wanted to ask you, Carrie, you were at the press conference on Sunday. I mean, what were you, what stood out to you? It, you know, as much as everyone wanted uh, more information, and definitely there's, a, I, I think it was it's a it's a it's a pretty good report, and, and it's it pretty even handed in the way it it distributes blame, but it's it's still not satisfactory. It still doesn't satisfy because. Uh, and one of the things about them, and I th- and I thought that um, uh, the three committee members did, did okay yesterday, but you know, going through the report, and there's a lot about hardening of the schools, of course, which is necessary. But this, and I know they, the purpose of the of the report was not to make recommendations, but uh, it's there's still this going around the issue of the accessibility and availability of 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 of. of of these kind of weapons. I mean, it does say that, the sh- and that's, that was one of these that was surprising that that was apparently on May 24th was the first time that the shooter had ever, had ever fired guns. Uh, but the other thing that I want to say that, that stands out was that, 
when the report came out, um, and it was 77 pages, and this comes after a week of hearing the number 77 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, in, and when, that, when the video was released this week, I think everyone felt the same way, those who watched it, of, of maybe the most jarring part of the video is the disclaimer that the children's screams have been removed. And which, you know, it's like, you know, can, now all you can do is hear the children's screams. But then it got me to thinking, again, it goes back to the officers. They heard those screams. They heard those screams and didn't do a damn thing. You know, it was interesting, though, in the report, there was a line in there where they said that the officers, like all the officers they interviewed claimed that they didn't hear the screams. <laughs> they said they said that they heard the gunfire going in, but not the screams, which which strains credulity. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But I, I thought that was even the even the moaning of those people who maybe were survivors or hadn't died yet. You would think you would hear yeah. Moans, expressions of pain. Wow. Well, they they certainly knew about the nine one one calls yeah. coming from out inside the classroom. So, and and to your point, Carrie, about about there not being any recommendations, and I, and they said, look, this is this is a, a kind of an interim report. I to think they're, they're going to yeah. follow up yeah. on this, and they're going to be talking more about possible recommendations going forward. But you know, we're, we have a lot of kids in the state who are going to be starting school in a few weeks, and um, I don't know. I, I, I think there are some things we can take from the report, definitely, but I still think that there has to be a lot of concern among parents in this state about what's the situation going to be like in this this coming school year. How safe is your school? What's what's changed since May twenty fourth? Yeah, and and you know, and and I and last you know, late last night, I was I was looking at 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 the governor's Twitter feed and and, and Senator Cruz's Twitter feed. Not one word about your value. Not one word. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. I I, I did want to mention too, and this was a small part of the report, but they did talk about the shooter, and um, this is someone who you know had a, a stuttering problem at a young age, possibly a learning disability, was teased and bullied early on. There's there's one. Uh, anecdote from fourth grade where they mentioned uh, a girl tying his shoelaces together. And I don't know, that one really kind of uh, grabbed me because uh, I think, you know, I think anyone could imagine being that young and, and the humiliation that goes with that. Um, and I bring this up not in any way to excuse for this, this horrific act, but to, to say that I think that these kinds of uh, people who, who, who become this violent, I don't, they, we're not, we're not born that way, and and uh, there is some um, some mention in the in the report about you know th th this was someone who, who needed some some social services or some 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 school resources to to help him at a young age when he was falling behind and feeling really alienated, and for whatever reason they didn't they didn't happen. I don't know if anyone if it was clear to anybody well, what think, what happened there where, where the failure was. Well, I think I think what the report also does, and I, and I think correctly is. Is they lay some blame at, at the family. I mean, there's there's cases we all know where you know someone is 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 crying for help and maybe we don't see it. With this kid, it's, it was so obvious, and for years, and then you know to the point where he's bringing rifles into these assault weapons into the house, and he has this either clueless, aligned uncle who's driving him to the oasis to pick this up and doesn't realize what's going on, and uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. 
Right. I mean, absolutely. That there were there were red flag, abundant red flags with this kid, and um, hopefully, one one thing to come out of this will be people won't let that slide anymore. You know, um, that that they'll they'll if you if you see something, then they'll they'll raise that issue. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up uh, on that note. Uh, it's the report is definitely something that's worth. Uh, we're taking a look at it. And I think that, uh, I, I, I do think that they were able to, a lot of the individual items were things that we had heard about that we knew about, but I think that they, they were able to put them together in, in a way that I think maybe will, uh, will I think be helpful, um, uh, going forward. So I hope everyone's doing well and, uh, we appreciate you listening. We'll be back next week. Take care. Bye.